So I have chosen to just to take a little sabbatical from preaching through now the book of Numbers, when we start the book of Numbers, and I'd like to talk to you tonight about degrees of demonization. And um, what I'd like you to do is stand with me for the reading of the word. We're going to begin on uh, John chapter 13, 26 and 27. Just in my, in my daily readings of scripture, and just outside of my study of the word for preaching and teaching, I usually study about five chapters every morning. And going through the Gospel of John, I, I came across this, and it, you know, it really hit me. You know, Judas was demonized. You know, Satan entered into Judas. But he was still functional. So he wasn't foaming at the mouth. His head wasn't spinning around. You know, he, he wasn't running around naked like the demoniac and, you know, in Judarians. He was functional. And um, so I, I just started, I started thinking about it, digging into scripture, and, and it's a beautiful thing. When you, I'll say this to, to the young men here who are studying to be preachers and to the women who, who teach. When you really begin to understand the Word of God, the 66 books in their, you know, in their entirety, it's amazing how the Holy Spirit will literally be like a Bible commentary to you. And he will just teach you. And, uh, you know, so the Holy Spirit just started teaching me about some of these things. So that's what I want to share with you tonight. So John chapter 13, 26 and 27, Jesus answered, It is uh, he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it, right at the Last Supper. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him, and then Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. Heavenly Father, open up our hearts and minds tonight to your word. Lord God, we, we have to pray tonight. And I'm going to pray, Lord God, a shield around everyone who is here tonight. Because, Lord, we're going to, we're going to be looking into the schemes and the strategies of the demonic, of the prince of darkness. And, Lord God, we need, we need to right now just, just, Lord, put on the armor of God. Put on the helmet of salvation. Put on the, the breastplate of righteousness. Lord, take up the sword of the Spirit. Put on the shoes of peace. The belt of truth, Lord God. Let us, Lord God, take up the shield of faith. And Lord God, I just, you are a shield, Jesus. And just shield us all as we dig into these things to understand, Lord, his strategies over our lives, the lives of people we love, and how we could be used more effectively to set the captives free. So Father, we ask this and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You could be seated. So, again, you know, you, you look at Judas here, and understand, Judas here, <laughs> Satan enters into him. Satan, the prince of demons. This isn't uh, another demon that's entered into him. This is the prince of demons who enters into Judas. But again, Judas, he's under the control of Satan. But he's still cognitive. He goes to the priests. By the way, I think the priests were demonized as well. The Sadducees. So it's interesting, you have a group of people talking to each other, and a number of them, right, are all basically demonized. They're all under uh, some level of, of demonization. But Judas can go and he can negotiate for 30 pieces of silver to betray Jesus. He plots, he plans, and then he leads them to the garden, leads an army. I mean, they, literally there were about 500 of them who came to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And, uh, and when he, he came to Jesus, again, he still had the sense... Right to be able to go over, identify him, and kiss him, and, and betray him. 
So that, that, is, that is a unique level of demonization. So what I'd like to share with you again, I'm going to share with you four degrees of demonization. The first is influence, the second is oppression, the third is control, and the fourth is infestation. Now, I believe that we as believers cannot be under Satan's control nor be infested by demons, but as believers, he can influence us and he can oppress us. So let's look. The first is, is influence. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with you a couple of passages here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 3 through 4. It says, But I fear lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. He's talking to the Corinthians, they're Christians. And so he, he's warning them here about, again, the influence of deception. And then he goes in verse 4, For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. So it, it is deception, and deception by false teachers, which is essentially introducing people to false doctrine and to heresies. And that is, again, that is how he will influence. This is, again, this is a battle that, that we have fought here for 30 years to stay true to the Word of God. And it's amazing how we get people coming in here who believe things that are contrary to what the Gospel and what the Bible says. But they're, they're basically under the influence of Satan and they have bought into, it could be a cultic teaching, again, a heresy or some type of false doctrine. In 1 Corinthians 7, 5, it says this, this is to husbands and wives, do not deprive one another except with consent for a time. Okay, and it's talking about the sexual relationship. That you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So here, here he's talking about, again, a level of influence, which is temptation. Satan tempting people through their, their weakness. Okay, just, just as he did to Eve, just as he did to Job, and by the way, he went and he tempted Jesus, right? With the three, the three temptations. So here, here it's saying, it's warning against, again, the sexual temptation at, you know, of lust. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you a funny story. There was a cop who was coming here years ago. I was teaching through 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and um, I, I, I had said that, you know, God wants us as a couple, he wants us to pray, right? He wants us to be in prayer together, and, and he wants us to make love together, and he doesn't, and that's not something that God forbids. So he came up to me and he said to me, he goes, you know, we need to, we need to pray, and we need to make love. He goes, I'm just praying that my wife will make love to me. <laughs> and I thought that was great, I thought that was funny. And uh, most of the men here are probably saying, yeah, that, I, I, that's, that's something that, that I do. Um, first, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. Again, another level of influence. He blinds the minds of unbelievers who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So, Wanting to win your loved ones to Christ, wanting to, to see your loved ones set free, you've got to be in prayer. 
because we're now dealing with, with a, a, you know, a spiritual blindness that God has put over their eyes. And I think if you think of your life before you were a believer, that's where you were, right? The devil blinds, he blinds our eyes from being able to see Jesus. You know how, you know how that blindness is lifted? And if you're in a place of blindness tonight, let me say this to you. All you need to do is just open the door a crack. Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart and he wants to come into your life. The problem is there's no doorknob on his side. There's a doorknob on your side. He's not going to violate you. He's not going to force himself on your life. But when you open that door just a crack, that light, his illuminating light shines into your life and suddenly that blindness that the devil has caused can be lifted. And by the way, if you, if you look at Second uh, Corinthians 3 and 4, that's really what, what the passage is talking about. But again, Satan will influence by blinding people. In Matthew chapter 16, 22 to 23, I'll give, you, I'll give you an example here, again, of Satan's influence. So Peter, it says, took him, took Jesus aside, and began to rebuke him. And he says here, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Jesus said, I'm going up to Jerusalem, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to be crucified, and on the third day I'm going to raise, be raised from the dead. So Peter here is now, he, this is Peter in front of Jesus saying, Lord, we're not going to let that happen to you. You're not, you know, you're not going there. You're not going to go up there, you're not going to die, this is not going to happen to you. And notice what Jesus says in verse 23, but he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, you are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Now, he's not saying that Peter is Satan. Okay, Peter, Peter, is not, Peter is not in a place where Satan is inhabiting him like he was Judas. But what he is saying here is, he's under the influence of Satan. And Satan did not want Jesus to go to the cross. And people say, well, Satan put Jesus on the cross. No, he might have rejoiced at the whipping and the beating and seeing the Messiah suffer. But he was trying to keep him from the cross. And you see that, again, throughout the entire you know, Gospels, that Satan was trying to keep... Try, Satan was trying to kill Jesus to keep him from going to the cross. So when, when you see him reading the scripture from Isaiah chapter 61 in the synagogue in Nazareth, right after he did that, they, they were in an uproar because he said, now the, the, the word is going to come to the Gentiles. It wasn't that he was saying he was the Messiah. It's that he said, now the, the word, the gospel is coming to the Gentiles. And the Jews were infuriated. And so as he walked out of the synagogue in Nazareth, what did they want to do? They wanted to throw him off the cliff. And it says then he just kind of blended in and walked amongst them. That's a miracle. If you say, well, he looked like any other Jewish man, I believe he did. But I believe also they, they, they were looking at him when he was in the pulpit in the synagogue. They knew what he looked like. And it's like all of a sudden God just, just blinded their eyes. And so there's continuous plotting by the Sanhedrin, by uh, Caiaphas, to kill Jesus. And he keeps just slipping through their hands. Satan wanted to kill him and keep him from getting to the cross. I believe... The whipping that Jesus received was actually Satan trying to kill Jesus in the courtyard, the Roman courtyard, to keep him from getting to the cross. But he was determined to go to the cross and die so that we could receive forgiveness of all of our sins, taking our sins upon you know, himself and giving us the atonement. So again, Satan here 
influencing Peter, Peter under the influence of Satan, and again trying to keep Jesus from going to the cross. Okay, number two. The second is oppression. And um, in Ephesians chapter 4, 26 through 27, it says, Do not be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. So, all anger is not sin, right? There's, there's righteous anger. But if we are allowing Satan to oppress us, he can, he can, he can turn that, that anger, right, into bitterness. He can turn it into rage. He can turn it literally into an addiction. Now, people become addicted. They become addicted to anger. You say, well, how can anybody want that? Because there's a huge emotional and, and, and essentially this, this energy, adrenaline rush that people get by being angry. So, so here, again, Satan can, and it says, nor give place to the devil. Satan can get a foothold in our lives and create, create a, a, a habit. Now, demonic oppression, it, it, it essentially, it could be any sort of a, a obsession uh, it could be some type of demonic, again, behavior. Um, it could occur during intense attacks by the enemy. And he can, he can really distort, distort our lives, distort our emotions, distort our personality. And we can create, and actually he'll, he will create in us, these irrational impulses, black moods, uncontrollable anger, compulsive lying. And, and that's, you know, again, that's how he will get a foothold. The word here that's used for foothold is trap, animal trap. You ever see a bear trap? Raccoon get into a, a raccoon trap? Once that trap closes on them, it's like impossible for them to get out. And that's, that's what happens when Satan oppresses and he basically establishes a foothold in somebody's life. And again, that, that could be a, a, a foothold of, 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 of again, a, any sort of addiction. It could be an alcohol addiction or a drug addiction. It, it could be, it could be a, a lust addiction, a pornography addiction. But he gets, he gets that stronghold in the person's life and it becomes extremely difficult for the person to break free from it. Oppression. Acts chapter 5, verse 3, it talks about Ananias and Sapphira. And I believe, again, I believe they were believers, some people believe they weren't. I believe they were believers. And it was through oppression that, I'll read it to you. Uh, Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? Right? They basically sold this land. God didn't ask for it, the money. The church didn't ask for it. And then what they did is they presented the money, okay, to the apostles. They laid the money at the apostles' feet. And... Um, they said that they gave it all. Well, well, they didn't ask for it all. But again, there, there, there's this, 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 again, this oppression, this, this, it's like a, a, a lying addiction. They wanted to look so good. They wanted to look like Barnabas, who was giving it all. And um, again, it was bringing an infection, a disease into the church. You know what happened? God took them out. So I'll show, you, I'll show you again, when, when Satan works at creating an oppressive addiction in a person's life, how many of you have ever gone fishing? Okay. Have you ever got a fishing hook in your hand or in your finger? It goes in so easy, right? And then it's got this little burr on it. 
And it's really hard to get it out. And, you know, I mean, sometimes you've got to take a knife and literally cut into your finger to be able to get it out. That's what Satan does through oppression. He, he will establish this, this, literally this addictive, sinful habit that takes control of our lives. And it puts us, it puts us into, into bondage. And man, I'll tell you, you know, just working, I've been, I've been count, look, I've been counseling people for 40 years, and it is difficult to break that bondage. I mean, you know, bondage breaking, because once he gets, uh, again, that foothold in a person's life, you know, just something we're going to talk, I'm going to talk to the men in a couple weeks, and um, I, was on a, I was on a meeting, you know, I recommended the book by Jerry Boykin, it's a great book about, you know, men being men. I don't know if you guys, some of you guys went out and got that. But I was on a call with this, this past Saturday with Jerry Boykin, and we're looking, at, we're looking at doing a conference here in northern New Jersey. About 2,000 men we want to we wanna get together and um, just get together for a Friday and a Saturday and, and just worship Lord, the Lord and Jerry Boykin. Jerry Boykin, he's, he's third star general in the army. He was the founder of Delta Force, which is the equivalent of the SAS in England or the Navy SEALs. And I, I, I actually followed Jerry in his, in his basic, you know, things that he was doing in the army in Delta Force before I ever knew he was a Christian. But Jerry was talking about the struggles that men, and he's got a real heart for men. He's got a heart for, for he thinks, he feels like the American man is being feminized. I always say, the, feminized and sissified. And that's the work of the devil. And uh, he was talking about the, the addictions that men struggle with. And he was, ta- he was talking about pornography. He was talking about alcohol. He was talking about video games. The things that, that men, and that, you know, they're, they're not being the, the husband to their wife. They're not being the father. But these, you know, these addictions, he said, seven out of ten men in the Christian church are addicted to pornography. That was by the Barna Institute. And... Um, so, you know, just, again, that, that is through oppression that Satan can get that fish hook into that person. And again, hey, I don't know of, I don't know of any man in the church who's proud. I mean, they're going to talk about this. Who's proud of, of them being addicted to pornography. They'd like to not have it in their life. But again, the Satan has that hook. And again, they, they need a major bondage freeing, bondage breaking for them to go free. All right, the third... The third level of demonization is control. So again, going, going back to the passage I opened up with you, Judas, right? He, he is essentially filled by Satan. Satan enters him. And again, when we look at that, there are instances in Scripture where a demon has entered into a person. You think of the young boy who he was demonized from the time he was a little kid. And he's throwing himself into the fire. He's throwing himself into water trying to drown himself. And his, and his poor father, and he had a godly father. He had a father, that, I mean, you know, if that's your kid, you know, how, you know, you know the, the love and the compassion and the tears and the prayers that you're lifting up for your kid if your kid is going through something. Like if your kid's going through sickness, your kid's, you know, a kid's going through some type of mental, mental challenge. And, uh, you know, he, he, brings, he brings the kid to, to Jesus. Now, that, that kid, again, that's an example. Now, it's, it's very evident you know, he's trying, he's trying to kill himself. So it's, it's, it's very visible and evident what that, kid, what that kid is going through. In the case of Judas, though, right, he's not throwing himself into the fire. Right, he's, he's not, he's not at, 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 you know, at this time, he's not throwing himself into the water to drown himself. 
He has a certain level of, of, of cognitive function to be able to plot out the betrayal of Jesus. Going and, you know, talking to the priests for 30 pieces of silver and then leading, you know, leading again this, this little army into the Garden of Gethsemane and kissing Jesus on the cheek. But again, he, he's cognitive. And the point I want to make with this, there are people that we come in contact with, that we have dealings with. And I don't, I don't, want, you, I, I don't want you to be you know, out you know, thinking everybody is de- you know, demonized. But there, there are people that we come in contact with. Folks, there are leaders in our country who are demonized, who are in a place where, and, and you, know, you just get into the things that, that, they, they, that they believe. In Mark chapter 1, 23 through 24, you start to see something forming in the Gospels. Now, there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit. And he cried out saying, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Not only is there one unclean spirit, apparently there are multiple unclean spirits. Did you come to destroy us? I know uh, who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, this guy's in the synagogue. I don't think the other people... Were aware. I don't think the rabbi was aware that they had a demon-possessed guy in their midst. And may, maybe, you know, it caused a little trouble. Right? But, but he, he isn't, you know, they're not hearing voices coming out. I mean, a little troublemaker. You know, just the devil will bring in a troublemaker into the church. And, uh, you know, he'll try to create division and pit people against each other. So here's this, you know, here's this demonized guy. But notice... When Jesus came in contact with these people, okay, then the demons came out. So demon, Jesus is literally driving out the demons from the Galilee. I just want to—he's he's making the Galilee demon free. And you start looking at it—he's, ca- I mean, he's healing the sick, he's healing the blind, the lame are walking, and the demons are being cast out. But Jesus is—he's uncovering their their stealth. And that's one of Satan's greatest tricks. Right? We, we, see, we see the occasional person out of their mind. We see a lot of those people on the streets killing people right now. And people say, well, they're mentally ill. I, I think that's an insult to people who have imbalances. They may have right, endorphin imbalances or you know, imbalances in their serotonin or their dopamine. I think it's an insult, an, you know, an insult. Well, the reason that they're stabbing people, slashing people, killing people is because there's mentally ill. Because I know a lot of mentally challenged people who don't do those things, right? A lot of mentally, we have some people here, we understand they have some mental challenges, and they're good people. They're honorable people, they're loving people. But these are, these are, peop- these are people, I believe, it's not men- mental illness, these people are demon-possessed. They're, they're, they're demon-possessed. But for the most part, Satan wants to go incognito. He doesn't want people to, doesn't want people to know. We don't, quite, we don't quite grasp on to you know, why that is. So there, there are people that are very functional in, in society, in the world, who are under, again, the influence and actually under the control of, of Satan. Now, I just want to say this. Coming under the control of Satan, I do not believe that a true believer, 
A person who has been born of the Spirit and the Spirit is indwelling them, I don't believe that person can be under the control of Satan. I believe that, again, they can be oppressed and they can be influenced. But I don't believe that they can be under the control. And they say, well, well how do you know that? Okay, I'll show you just a couple of, uh, a couple of things here. In 1 John 5.18, we know that whoever is born of God does not sin. Okay, and that, that word have to, that is, that is a person who, is, the word have to is missing the mark. That person believes Jesus is, is God. They believe that Jesus is Lord. They believe that Jesus is Savior. Okay? But he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. The word, the word touch is haptu in the Greek, and what it means is to cling to. And it's, it's a word that's used for an animal. It would be like a, a bear grabbing onto somebody, or a raccoon grabbing onto someone and not letting go. And so it's saying the believer, the devil cannot grab onto them Okay, and, and, but he can grab on to an unbeliever like that. The word have to. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So that's why I, I, I take the view that a true believer cannot be under the control of Satan. They can be influenced and they can be oppressed. Now the fourth, the fourth is infestation. And uh, there are a handful of instances in the scriptures of infestation. So if you look at, at Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, it says, Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of Judarians. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs. And no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. And the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. He was running around, he was running around in the tombs, living in tombs, living in the tombs of dead people, and he's naked, screaming, yelling, he's out of his mind. And always night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones, so he's destructive. What did he say his name was when he spoke to Jesus? Legion. Why? Because there are many demons filling them. A legion, a Roman legion could be four to five thousand. I don't know if it was four to five thousand, but it was many, many demons. And this, this is again, this is a picture of infestation. I, I think, you know, in dealing, in dealing at times with certain demonic situations, you all of a sudden, you're talking to the person. I mean, Tito had a great story about this with, with someone. And all of a sudden, you start hearing voices coming out of their mouth. Francisco, where are you? Do you remember the Bible study with that young girl? Right, this young girl, we met her on the street, and she came into the church, and uh, she was attending here. And then one night at a Bible study, I get a phone call on a Friday night, and um, Francisco, I don't, were you the one who called me? Somebody called me and said, you need to get over here, because the young girl, right, started speaking in different voices, and then vomited. Right? She didn't vomit? Well, she just started speaking in different voices. That was another instance. But um, that's something, again, that all of a sudden there, there will be the manifestation that she is basically, she is infested with more than, you know, than, one, than one demon. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story. 
You could find this on YouTube. He was out in Oklahoma, and uh, this guy this guy was a, a UFC fighter. He's probably one of the, I don't know, maybe the top 50 UFC fighters, you know, the, the cage fighters. And uh, married, has three kids. He's in uh, bed with his wife one night, and this guy breaks into his house. Now, the, 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 the fighter's probably a good 200 pounds. He's a, a beast, probably one of, you know, one of the, the you know, top 100 fighters in the world. And this guy broke in, and I would say the guy looked like he was about 130 pounds. And he attacked him. And they fought. They fought for like 20 minutes. And this is a trained fight. The, the, the fighter could not beat him. He said that he had like this supernatural strength. And he, he, they fought until finally he did manage to get the guy off him. And the guy then left the house. And then he went to the house next door. And there are some videos on YouTube of this guy screaming in the, 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 the ring camera, the uh, you know, doorbell camera, screaming. And you're looking, and I'll tell you something. There's stuff coming out of this guy that you're looking. I'm saying, well, he's mentally ill. I think he's infested with demons. So the, the, the situation we see happening, again, with, with, with people in, you know, in the cities, and some of the stuff, I mean, it's, I mean horrible. I saw, I saw a video. This, a lot of this stuff doesn't bother me. I think I've been you know, desensitized to it. But I saw a video. The... EMT worker in New York and Queens. I don't know if you saw it. I don't want to even recommend that you look at it because it really bothered me. But this this man basically just comes running across the street with a knife and stabbed her like 50 times, killed her. And um, again, they, they, I, I believe these people are, are, are they're demonized. They're under his control. They're, they're, some of them there are infestations, pushing people in front of trains. Just, just, just pure, crazy violence. So, again, th that is infestation. You know, I, 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 I had a good friend years ago. He ran Midbergen Mental Health. His name was Joe Mashandaro. Joe was a psychiatrist educated in, in one of the like, top schools in Europe. I think it was, it was in Italy. And um, he ran Midbergen. And I had a, a program. I, I ran a fitness center at the time in, in Paramus. And he would bring in the, you know, the patients, and we would, we would put them through exercise program. I was having lunch with him one day, and we were talking. And you know, he said to me, he goes, you know, 92% of uh, mental illness is, is diagnosed. It's, it's chemical imbalances. There's things going on. He said, but 8%, he said, I believe, is demonization. That's what, that's what he said to me. Very, very, again, highly educated, you know, very, very renowned, you know, psychiatrist. But he had, he had said that to me. That, um, you know, there are people who just, it has nothing to do with mental illness. They're under the control of something very dark, very evil. So let me give you, I want to give you, a, a, you know, key, some keynotes here and a little bit of an application. So in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So we're told to put on the armor of God. We're told to operate as Christians. Jesus gives us a level of authority and power. Okay? The authority and power. The dunamis of, of God through the Holy Spirit that we can be you know, active in freeing people. And in really defending, okay, ourselves, our, our families, our churches against the demonic. So that's key. Now, Satan. What, what, you know, what are his strategies? 
And I'm going to read to you from John chapter 10, verse 10. First here, he calls him a thief. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill and to destroy. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. So he, he comes to steal. To steal what? Well, he, he'll, he'll come to steal your health. He'll, he'll come to steal your psychological health and emotional health. He'll, he'll come to basically steal your joy, steal your peace, and ultimately to steal your spiritual life. So, you know, look at Luke chapter 8, verses 11 through 12. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God, and those along the path are those, uh, the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts. He snatches it. So the, I, I don't believe this person has given their life to Christ yet. But this is a person who comes, and the, the word of God has fallen upon their heart. But they haven't really taken it into their life yet. They haven't really taken it into the depths of their heart and committed them to Christ. And what is, again, what does the devil do? He comes and he snatches it. He snatches it away. So he, 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 is, he is a thief. He, he is a thief who comes to steal. The second, it says, to kill. He's, he's, he's a killer. He's, he's a murderer. Jesus said in John 8, 8, 44, You are of your father the devil. And the desires of your father who want to do, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. But he is, he is a murderer. Suicide. It's not uncommon for a person, right, to occasionally have a suicidal thought. Just understand where that's coming from. I can guarantee that's coming from Satan. He will slip, he will slip a suicidal thought in, you know, into your mind. He, again, he is a murderer. He, he, he is a killer. You see, you see, again, what is happening in our country. And you look at these, these, are, these pictures are heartbreaking. All these young people, all these kids who are being killed in New York, in Chicago, in Memphis, in, in Los Angeles, in San Francisco, and even, even in smaller towns. This is his work. He will, he will incite people. And you know, it's sad, it's sad when you see, you see what's going on and you see these pictures of these young kids, right? And they pull up with the car and they get out with the gun and they, you know, they, start, they start shooting people. This is, this is a culture. These, these, are, these are people and these are kids. They have no purpose. They have, they, they, they have no meaning. They have no value in, the, in, in themselves. There's nothing to live for. Right? They see themselves as worthless. So, you're worthless. Old woman walking down the street, old man walking down the street, woman walking down... You're worthless. I'm worthless. I have no value. So they, they think nothing about, about killing somebody. Where do, you, where do you think that's come from? That's the, that's the, the, the work of Satan. And he's, in, you know, he's instilled that in, in people in these, in these, you know, in these communities. How about abortion? He's, he, again, he's a murderer. You, you look at what's happening in America. Since the, the decision, the R.V. Wade decision, you see a bloodlust. Even in the president, in his cabinet, you see these, this is a bloodlust. I mean, they, 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 are, they are enraged 
Right? And it's always about, you know, it's always about, well, you know what, um, it's about reproductive rights. What about the rights of the baby? I said, I've never met a human being who said to me, I wish my mother aborted me. I've never met anybody who said that. I, I, you know, I, I've said that to people, to people who are, you know, who are pro-abortion. You know, I've never met a human who said, hey, you know what, I wish my mother aborted me. But this, this, thing, this thing has insight, and you see there is this insanity, this, this, this bloodlust in these people to, to murder the unborn. And look, I understand, if you've had an abortion, there's grace, there's love of God for your life. I don't know, you know where you were when you made that decision, but I, I just, I'll, say this, I'll say this to you, though. But these, these people in leadership, they, they, they are, they are I, I mean, to have that type of bloodlust for the murder of the unborn, even up to the eighth and ninth month, you know what happens to a baby when it's aborted in the eighth month? They go in with a scalpel, kill the baby, dismember it, and then suck it out with a vacuum. And how about just that infanticide that you can have a baby and if you're unhappy with the baby, you can let it die right there in front of you. And that's at New York, Virginia. How many days? Up to 28 days. So that is, again, who's, who's behind that? Who's behind that, that, you know, again, that, that sick bloodlust? And then it says one other thing here in John 10.10, 10, to destroy. He's a, he's a destroyer. What, you know, what, does he, what does he seek to destroy? Everything that is good. Everything that God has established. You, you, you think about, again, the things that have been going on in our country. Matthew 19, 4 through 6, and he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? Destroy, destroying the very image of God. A man being a man, a woman being a woman. The masculinity and the femininity. Right now, what do we have? Right? Science says there's two genders. The Bible says there's two genders. And what do we have today in our culture? I don't know, you got 486 different genders and a new one started every week. And it's, you know what, let me just say, it's destroying these people. I, I saw these interviews on YouTube of, it was 10 people who had sex changes. And they're all suffering. From, they, they all have these, and they were all very honest. This wasn't a Christian program. These are just people who came out and they're suffering mentally. And they'd like to now reverse it. But there's, I mean, they're in a place of tremendous confusion. And can you imagine what's going to happen 10 years from now? All these people going through this? But that again, that's, that's the work of Satan. Look at verse 5. And said, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let no man separate. What do we have now? Marriage between a man and a man. Marriage between a woman and a woman. Again, he's, he, he, he is the destroyer who comes to destroy. God, God established the nuclear family. And we know that, that, that the, the nuclear family is, is critical to civilization and to culture. And it, it tells us in Psalm 127 verses 3 through 5, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a, re- a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks 
with his enemies in the gate. A beautiful picture of, again, of the family and the preciousness of children, the value of children. And again, what do we see Satan doing to our children right now? In New Jersey, there are towns that are teaching basic pornography to children who are in fourth grade. There was a, there was a, a show on, on the news, and this was, I think this was NBC, and when they showed the book that some Christian parents, actually Christian and Muslim parents, were attempting to basically have removed, and this was in Michigan, and a lot of Muslim people and Christian people banding together to say, we don't want this taught to our kids. But when NBC showed the book, they had to block out the cover because the woman on it was nude. They had to block it out. But it's okay to show it to kids who are in fourth grade. What kind of damage is that going to do? Man, I, I'll tell you, I didn't have a sexual thought until I was 14 years old. And maybe I was a little slow in developing. But I, I, just, I, I, I thought about hockey sticks and hockey pucks and basketballs and footballs. And, um, you know, and when, I was, when I danced with a girl in eighth grade, it was the fluttering in my heart you know, and the, and the butterflies in my stomach. I look at these kids. You're going to teach this stuff to kids at, at, in fourth grade? This is, this is sick. But this is, again, what, what Satan comes. He comes to destroy. He comes to destroy. You need to pray. You need to pray. Our, our greatest weapon is prayer. You need to vote. You have an election coming up in a couple of... I hope, I hope you look at the people that you're going to vote for. And see, you know, see where they stand on abortion. See where they stand, okay, on CRT. CRT, right? Critical race theory. If you're white, you're evil. The truth of the matter is that Jesus said, he said, only God is good and we're all evil. Do you ever know that? Look, let me show you here. In Luke chapter 18, 19. So Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one is good, but one that is God. Obviously, right, the rich young ruler, he didn't know that Jesus was God. Jesus is not saying he's not God here, but he's saying there's only one who's good, and that's God. God is the only one who's good. God is the only one who is sinless. So Jesus says in, in Matthew chapter 7, 11, if you then being evil... Know how, to good give, give, um, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? We say, we're evil. Now, there are different degrees of evil. There is only one degree of good. God is good. But we all have different degrees. Moses was not as evil as Pharaoh. But Moses still had evil in him. Right? John the Baptist was not as evil as Herod. Right? Paul was, was not as evil as Nero. There's different degrees of evil. Folks, I hope as you pray and as you come to voting, okay, two weeks from yesterday, I hope you will look at the candidates and you will look closely at them because, see, they're all evil. <laughs> they're all evil. But some have a greater degree of evil than others. And I vote according to the one who has the least evil.
pray because this country is teetering. This country is teetering. And, uh, man, see these, these candidates, they're socialist. Oh, what, what's, wrong, what's wrong with socialism? Why don't you go take a close look at the Soviet Union, talk to some of our brothers and sisters here who have come from Romania or who have come from Venezuela. Do you see what's happening with the Venezuelan people coming over the border? You know what they're doing with them? They're sending them back. Why aren't they sending the ones back from, Hindor, from Honduras or El Salvador? Because the ones in Venezuela, they have already experienced communism and socialism and they know they're not going to vote for them. The Democrats know they're not going to vote for them. So they're just sending them back. You talk about corruption in this country. We have become a banana republic. We have, we have, become, this, we have become corrupt and we have become evil in this nation. So you have, a, you have, a, you have a, some important choices to make. Look closely when you vote. Pray. Because this, this is a, a key moment. This is a key moment in, in the history of this country. And there's a line being drawn in the sand. Amen? So, let's pray. I'm not going to bring up the team, the worship team. I'd like to just break up into small groups. Let's pray about the upcoming election and lift it up to the Lord. Okay? Father, hear our prayers tonight. Lord God, we come to make intercession. We come, Lord God, knowing that you have given us an authority and power and Father God, we want to use that tonight. We want to pray against, Lord God, the demonic realm, the principalities and the powers. And we want to pray, Lord God, that you would set the captives free. And we want to pray for the upcoming election, Lord God, that the people who are righteous, that you would put those, Lord God, who are just more right, less evil, into positions to lead this land. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.